Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. The Rebel Report from Super Talk Mississippi with Brian Scott Rippey and Colin Brister. Listen carefully. Listen. What's up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. I accidentally just hit Siri as I said that, and then I saw Siri pop up the word definition of the word co-conspirator. That was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> Pack show today. Thank, appreciate you hanging out. This is, is Wednesday, November 6th. Lots of stuff to get to today. Football has a bye week. That's not really a bye week, so I was trying to get to uh, some other different creative stuff. So we've got some hoops news. I went to the uh, I went to the exhibition the other night. Uh, I guess that was Monday night. I've got some thoughts on that. I think that'll actually probably prove to be pretty useful, given that the fact that there was not a single way to consume the game. Apparently, like no radio, no television, no nothing. So it was back in like the 1960s where you know the crusty Big J journalist was the eyes and ears. So we'll get into that some. Um, and then I've got the what if, I've I've got a list of what ifs from Ole Miss from the last. I texted you last night and said five years, but I mean that generally that's very loosely, really just in the last you know little bit, whatever, uh, just to kind of do something fun and different. I actually got inspired. I say inspired. I stole that from uh, Bill Simmons, who released his book of basketball 2.0 pod, list of podcasts this week. It's kind of a sequel of his book that he wrote at 06. Uh, if you like the NBA and you like basketball, the podcasts are absolutely fascinating with Steph Curry and. Uh, Steve Kerr and some different stuff. It was really good, good shit. But anyway, uh, what's up? Not much, not much. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the doldrums of football season with Ole Miss playing, basically an FCS team and uh, basketball until Friday. So yeah, it's uh, it's kind of that time of year. Yeah, that's football's problem. They're just playing an FCS team. That's why it's not interesting. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I know what you mean. Um. Yeah, I mean, last night we had, I think, what well, we had Snoop Connor and Jalen Julius uh, come to the podium and speak last night. Um, that went about how you probably imagined it would, and I don't really mean that as a dig or disrespect to either of those guys. I mean, it's like, what are you asking Jalen Julius and Snoop Connor at this point in the year? Snoop Connor still very much has the uh, the kind of freshman syndrome where they don't really. It's not like they don't know how to handle the media. They're a little timid to talk, which you see with a lot of freshmen. Uh, you see it a lot in football. You see it a lot in uh, hoops. So Actually, a lot, some of the baseball kids, it's very hit or miss there, but some of them are actually really good. Some are not. I don't know. I guess it's that way in every sport. Um, so really, really not a lot of, not a lot to get to there. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what I want to get into first. I guess... I guess we'll start with there were there there were a couple football housekeeping notes from the Monday press conference that are probably worth getting to. One, Scotty Phillips has an ankle injury and is very much questionable for the game against New Mexico State. If I was a betting man, I would say that he probably doesn't play. They don't need him to beat New Mexico He's not State. Play. Yeah, they don't they don't need him to beat New Mexico State. I I really if they do, they've got larger problems. Yeah, I really don't know. 
and, and how it may not matter anyway, I really don't know what his status will be for the LSU game. And the reason I say that is because all we got was ankle injury. We don't really know the severity of it at all. Number two, if you'll remember last year, this exact thing happened, except it was uh, one one game later in the season. Yeah, Yeah, it was A&M, but it was one game later because they only had two games left as opposed to three. And he he was never able to come back. And Isaiah Willard was fine, and it probably didn't really change the results of any of the games because Ole Miss lost at Vanderbilt because of some inexplicable decision-making both on the coaching staff's part and then you had the weird uh, you had the weird catch that wasn't a catch but is a catch to surviving the ground thing. And then Scotty Phillips was not helping them beat Mississippi State because they couldn't stop anybody, and Scotty Phillips was probably not running on that Mississippi State defense anyway. But that being said, you are going to want him back for the home stretch this year. I mean... You, 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 I mean, LSU is kind of a, a, a given what's going to happen in that one, but I, I do think you're going to want him in the game against Mississippi State because of how shaky State's defense has been against the run, particularly this year. So yeah. I, that's something to monitor. I, I'm trying to. Th- I'm, I'm going back through everything I had. I don't think there was really anything else major that came of it. Richrod did have a quote saying he didn't think the two-quarterback system was a problem as much as some other things were. I thought <laughs> found that fascinating. His, his press conference this year for offensive competency uh, didn't, didn't give you the woman fuzzy because he actually thinks what they're doing can work. And I wonder I wonder why that is and I think there's a couple reasons that that could possibly be the case, and I think some of them maybe we've hit on before, but, like, it has worked for him in the past. It worked at West Virginia, which I think they were the Big East back then, if if I'm not mistaken. It somewhat worked at Michigan, and then he got a really special athlete in Khalil Tate the last little bit at Arizona, and it worked a little bit before that, too. But... I don't know what it's going to take. I am I, skeptical that this will work in the SEC. In fact, I'm actually fairly confident in saying that it will not work in the SEC unless he adjusts some and they have a bit more of a vertical downfield passing. Because I'm not even really just talking. As much as we make of Corral's inability to get in a rhythm, his accuracy issues early in the year, John Rice Plumley's inability to throw the football down the field, at the same time, they don't really let Plumley throw it down the field, and that's not I don't think that's really a Plumley thing because they didn't let Corral do it a ton either. But they don't throw it down the field. They do they don't use the middle of the field very much. They I mean what? I don't I don't have a percentage on it, but how many of the passes would you say were rollouts where they automatically from the get go eliminate one side of the field? Feels like eighty. Yeah, and so when you're doing that, you want to eliminate one side of the field, like I said. So you're giving the defense a narrower, a more narrow portion of the field to defend or have to worry about. Which, like rollouts, work to some degree, but they usually work off play action or run action or something like that. And then they don't use the middle of the field at all. And I think, particularly with Plumley, they don't trust him to throw over the middle of the field. But like you saw it a little bit with Corral in that first drive he got back against Missouri, where he made two really beautiful throws to Elijah Moore over the middle of the field that I've said four times. Plumley, to his, I mean, for, you know, for everything he does running, couldn't have made that if he had twenty-five tries apiece. But then they yeah, stopped. No, but I mean, then they stopped doing it, and they don't do it. Like they didn't use the middle of the field at all against A uh, and M. They didn't use it at all against Auburn, and some of that's Corral didn't really play. They don't use a tight end. 
I'm not going to go down the quarterback thing again because we've done this a hundred times in this podcast. I just find that interesting that he doesn't think the two-quarterback system is an issue. I agree with him that it's far from the only issue, and there are other factors that compound it, but it's definitely not working. No, I mean, it's not going to work. I don't know. I, I have no clue what Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke see on a day-to-day basis from this offense that makes you think what they're continuing to do is going to ever work in the SEC. Um, it's been shut down for two games in a row. By an Auburn team that's a really good defense, an A&M team that's not a really good defense, uh, here's the deal. If you, have enough, if you have a guy that you can put at linebacker that can fire or contain John Rice Plumley, Ole Miss's offense isn't going to do much It's what they're kind of currently doing. Um, that's what those two guys, two teams have done. They've said he is not going to be the outside, and for the most part, they haven't let him, and Ole Miss's offense doesn't do anything when, when that's the case. What was interesting, and I, I don't know, I imagine not many people watch the Monday press conferences at this point, but, and I'm not like patting myself on the back here, but after a couple of corral-ish questions that kind of got beat around the bush, I just kind of took the mic and asked him directly. I said, look, y'all have gotten off to slow starts, passing the ball, struggling throw it downfield. Matt Corral came in against Missouri and A&M and gave you all a spark in the passing game. Was there any thought to using him more in the Auburn game? And he gave me some non-answer about how he liked what John Rice does with his feet and that they're close and they're right there and winning games, and he liked what John Rice did on the last drive. To Matt Luke's credit, he has a way of not dismissing your question when you ask it, but giving an answer that doesn't answer what you asked in the slightest way at all. Like, not even close. Like, I remember a couple weeks ago, I asked him how Matt Corral was handling all of this, like, in terms of, like, him kind of getting benched and then coming back and coming off the bench and yada, 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 whatever. And he gave me some answer about how the whole team's had a great attitude. Then he goes, yeah, we went outside today, or went inside today, gave those guys a break from the heat, and I'm just like, he didn't answer any of this. He didn't answer anything I asked. So, props to him for that. But a point being, after that, he got asked about four or five more questions. And I would say the question total about using a Matt Corral was in the five to six range, maybe even got to seven, and he didn't answer any of them. He just kept saying things about John Rice Plumley. Literally did not answer any of them. The good news for Matt is he's not going to have to answer questions about Matt Corral here in about four months. Yeah, I don't, um, I, we've kind of gotten into that some. I think every day that goes by that Ole Miss has an athletic director significantly shifts the pendulum in Matt Luke's favor that he's going to have a 2020. No, no, no. I'm talking that Matt Crow is leaving. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what really the only thing that saves that at this point is Rich Rodriguez leaving. It's yeah, like a, it's like a staring that. contest and who boo budges first. Yeah, I mean, I think Rich Rod wants to leave, but who wants to hire Rich Rodriguez? Oh, I think there's a group of five job that would get that would hire him solely bought, solely off resume if he really wanted it. I mean, now Bowling Green hired a dude off Google. Y'all remember? You remember that story a couple years yeah, ago? Yeah, no, I, I mean, if he wants to take a CUSA or a Mac job, then sure. Um, okay, I so think- I've had people dismiss the fact that he would want to do that, and I've actually kind of disagree because if you remember the way he left in Arizona, and right, fair, unfair, right, wrong, or different, I think he's kind of. Actually, I'm not going to speak on that because I don't know the exact research, but I don't think that turned out to be as quite as ugly as it was when he left. Point being, that's not really the point. To me, this was kind of him slowly easing back into the industry and into the public eye a little bit, and then that could use that to parlay him to wanting to be a head coach again no matter at what level. I don't think he'd be dismissive of a job like that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
you think he would take a Bowling Green or an Akron? If it makes him a head coach again, yeah. Okay. What's the quickest way to getting back to a head coach? Having a prolific offense at Ole Miss or going and winning 10, 11 games? Um, for- I would argue that it would be easier if you have a really good offense at Ole Miss to get an SEC or a Power 5 head coaching job because SEC coordinators get hired all the time. Okay, that's fair. That's fine. But at the same time, what are the odds of him actually having a really, really good offense? Oh, none. No, no. Oh, well, no, no. Let me finish. Let, but having him a, a really, really good to great offense – that would kind of turn heads enough to get another major head coaching job from that because his his shortcomings and his inexplicable decisions and stuff aside, they really don't have the personnel to have a great one. Like, you know what I mean? They could be good and be competent and win more games with the way their defense is played. But let's be honest, with the quarterbacks that he has and the offensive line that he has, like, to be a great offense to go straight to another Power 5 head coaching job, he probably doesn't have that. So, like, I mean, what if he – Here's another aspect of this. We talked about the offense working and not working. I bet he could run all over some action with that stuff if he got the right guy. Yeah, maybe so. Um, so I'm sure he can out-scheme the hell out of the coaches Miami of Ohio. Or yeah, whatever. so whatever. I mean, not to get into an argument over like you know whether what he would do and what he not do. Point being, I don't think he'd be dismissive of it. And I think that's kind of maybe like the – unintended staring contest he and Corral may end up getting into in terms of like, hey, if you're staying, I'm out of here, and vice versa. Although I don't know why Rich Rod would stay. I would Like, it wouldn't hinge on him. But with Matt Corral, it's going to probably hinge on whether Rich Rodriguez is around. But look, man, the way they're the, – I go back to all of that. The way the way Matt, Matt Luke keeps answering questions, they want Pullman to be the guy, and it seems like they've made a decision. So – if I'm Matt Corral, I don't care who the offensive coordinator is next year. I'm, I'm out. Yeah, if no, that's kind of what I was getting at. Here, he's just as culpable in this position. Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting at, too. Like, is there an element of this to, well, if they want John Rice to be the guy, then Matt Luke's going to hire a guy that kind of, not yeah. Rich Rodriguez 2.0, but more conducive to, to Plumlee. Because we'll get into our what-if segment in a minute. But that's going to be kind of one of them, a future what-if instead of a past what-if. I said this on Monday. If Plumlee shreds a really bad state run defense and they tell him how to win the Egg Bowl, you watch it right now, man. They're going to spend the entire offseason being like, we're close. We were in games. We're right there. This is going to work. He's our guy. This is what's going to happen. And guess what? It's not going to work. <laughs> They're going to go to Houston and get their ass kicked by Baylor. and go, Oh, God, maybe it doesn't work. Yeah, they need Matt Rule to go to the NFL and that program to fall off again because otherwise they're probably starting off, what, 1-4? and four? Yeah, not looking good. At the same time, though, with as quickly and it seems as sturdily as Matt Rule has built up that program, if he does go to the NFL, I think his predecessor would have a pretty easy situation to step into. It's not like what Matt Rule stepped into. I think Matt Rule is an excellent coach, and I think T.J. Flush has done a very good job at Minnesota. But they're the worst 8-0 Power 5 teams I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. And the uh, the the... I think that Minnesota is a little different to your point to where, like, I'm not calling them a fraud because give them a I chance. Am. If they beat Penn State, whatever. I, I, like, if I want to see it, if they get blown out, then I'll call them that, whatever. But with Rule, it's more so what they're doing so quickly after yeah. what happened and how bad. Because he told them basically when he got that job, like, hey, man, this is my take half a decade. Like, this is really, really shitty, and you're going to have to give me time to clean this up. And to his credit, it's happened way faster. Should they be 8-0? I don't know. But to me, with Rule, it's more so the fact that they're doing this already 
you know, and they were in a bowl game last year with Vanderbilt already after, you know, the terrible things that happened under our bras. To me, that's the kind of impressive part, whether they were 6-2 and two or 8-0 and oh right now. Whereas, yeah, no, he, he is an excellent football coach. Um, I'd argue one of the best coaches in the country, frankly. Uh, a lot of these guys just get talent and overwhelm you with talent. But you're not overwhelming people with talent in Waco, Texas. So they win this week. They got Oklahoma next week. Man, that sets them up for a for a for real finish. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, though, a quick sidebar on terms of like, you remember those were two guys and PJ Fleck and his high energy stuff and all the row the boat and the kind of abrasive nature in which he coaches or I guess sells his program. Hugh Freeze with a jacket. Yeah, so it's it's not for everybody. But what's interesting to me about both of those guys is. You know, P.J. Fleck was it in college football in 20... Was that 16 they played Wisconsin in the Cotton Bowl? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, something like that. 16, so, 17. I think it was 16. Uh. Rule was kind of the same way. He had really had Temple rolling. And they both took jobs to where you're kind of like, well, that's a weird one to take, or that's a little premature. But it, in, in a lot of cases with coaches, they do that, and it ends up being a mistake. But it seems like in this case, both of those guys kind of gambled on themselves, and it worked out because they were confident in what their ability to do and pretty much win anywhere, it seems like, which I think is admirable. Yeah, I mean, I, it, that's tough on me because I always wonder, like, everybody probably kind of criticized them, that, you know, why would you take that job? But man, both of those guys, when they took those jobs, were guaranteed $20 million, you know? <laughs> I wonder if sometimes, like, these coaches realize that, you know, and most of these guys are winning there, so this isn't applicable here, but some of these coaches just take these jobs thinking, I can't win here, but by God, they're going to give me $20 million over the next five years. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all, but just when you're, what's interesting to me about Rule and Fleck is they weren't just, like, some guys, like, you know, an Ole Miss hiring a Dave Doran where that makes half a ripple in, a, you know, a slow news cycle. Like, they were kind of it in terms yeah. of the coaching carousel that year. So you just kind of figured if they were more patient, a much better job would come. But whatever, they chose that path, and it certainly paid off for them. Anyway, this is not a Minnesota or a Baylor podcast. Let's get into some hoops. I'm sick of doing football already. Uh, so Ole Miss beat Mississippi College 69-43. to is nice win for the Rebels uh, in a game that didn't count. Obviously, exhibition. There was... I mean, I'm not going to go, like, decent crowd here, but, like, there was actually a fair number of people inside the pavilion the other night. There is one gentleman who I, I guess I assume was rooting very hard for Mississippi College who is yelling at the top of his lungs every time Ole Miss missed a free throw. And let me tell you, in a somewhat empty gym, it was hilarious. <laughs> I would have wanted to sit by that guy. Yeah, I, know. I think he was somewhere behind the Mississippi College bench because there was a lot of, it looked like, players' family behind the MC bench. And uh, but every time they got Ole Miss got to the line, he was yelling loud and proud. It was funny. I admire the effort. Hey, hey, maybe Kermit hired that guy to get his team ready. It's a good point. Get him tougher. But um, so I got a couple observations. One, KJ Buffin scored seventeen of Ole Miss. Oh, Ole Miss had a really kind of sluggish night offensively. They turned the basketball over twenty times. They didn't really look very cohesive, uh, which is very kind of indicative of a team that has a bunch of new pieces. And is still trying to figure out how to play with one another. Shot it horribly, didn't they, from three? Uh, they did. They did not shoot the basketball very well. They turned it over. They didn't move the ball very well. And I know that sounds like kind of a very general basketball term. But Kermit Davis even said it after the game. He's like, look, look like, there are times where we dribble the air out of the ball. Like, they don't, they don't move it very well. And so that kind of led to some of their offensive, I guess, dysfunction per se. But K.J. Buffin had 17 of the team's 
69 points. He was really, really good. You can tell he's a lot stronger. He's put on, I think, about 10 to 15 pounds. He's around the 220, 225 mark, I believe, now. And, you know, it's Mississippi College. It's hard to tell, but you can already tell he's a better finisher at the rim because of it, and that's not all because of strength, but he's better equipped to get to the rim where last year there were times, particularly like if he tried to go baseline and get to and kind of get to the rim at a tough angle, he was cut off. It didn't end well for him. To where I think he's much better equipped to do that. But he's going to be a much better offensive player this year. Um, I say he had 21. I shortchanged him. He had he had. I said he had 17. He had 21. Excuse me. Uh, he was eight of ten from the field. He was super efficient. Five of seven from the free throw line. Played the most minutes out of anybody. I think he played like 26 of the 40, but he was really good. He's going to be a nice offensive piece for them this year. You know, this In terms of a guy's development under Kermit Davis, this has gone literally as bad as courting to schedule as, as, as possible. He plays last year out of necessity because they need him. You know, he was okay, took his lumps a little bit, wasn't really much of a scoring factor, gets stronger, kind of learns the rigors of SEC basketball, spent most of the offseason in the weight room, and has become a really nice finished player that they're going to count on a lot, I think, offensively in the front court. Yeah, no, I mean, it, look, it was an exhibition game that turned it over 20 times. Um, Luis Rodriguez and Carlos Curry needed to play particularly well. Um, so I, I don't really know how much you can gauge from these things. Because I've seen Ole Miss lose these things and be a pretty good basketball team, too. Um so it, it is what it is. Maybe not what it is. I think they went into overtime. But um, I don't know. Uh, uh, Mississippi College wasn't able to do a whole lot from an offensive perspective to challenge Ole Miss. Um, I thought from what I could tell, Ole Miss played pretty good defensively. Um, but again, Mississippi College isn't posing much of a threat. Their uh, lineup looked like a larger version of Jackson Prep. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. Um, I. I yeah. almost went, we were kind of bored in the post, like while we're waiting on the Kermit in the post game, and I thought of two really great questions I could ask. And I was one, I was going to say, are you going to look back in March and think this one helped your net? And two, how did you think you handled MC's athleticism on the perimeter? <laughs> but anyway, but there were, there were some things you could tell from this. And one, Luis Rodriguez didn't play very well. I mean, Kermit Davis kind of really made no bones about it. He's like, he's not going to start on Friday if, like, if he continues to practice like that. Like the way he played tonight. But look, Rodriguez. I, I was interested to see what he is offensively, and I don't think I, you know, very quickly found out. I'm not even sure. I'm not sure Kermit Davis wants to find that out. Not wants to find that out. Is very concerned about that. They want Rodriguez to be a six-six lockdown versatile defender on the ball. So they want him to be Martavis Newby. Um. Yeah. Just to, to some degree, but I think he. I think he's a better better equipped to guard smaller, quicker wing players than Newby was, but he's a 6'6", league, the athletic guy. They want him to be the best on-ball defender on the team. They want us to put him on. When you have, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on a good example of it right like now. Like Jared Harper from all. Yeah, something like that. Or maybe a pretty, like a slashing, you know, three on an opposing team that really gets to the rim. They wanted him to neutralize that. And then they want him to go and get a bunch of rebounds. And he did not do that the other night. He he didn't grab a single rebound. Kermit Davis was upset with that. Again, it's an exhibition. None of it matters. But that was one of the, the takeaways I had from the game. Is, uh, that's what they want Luis Rodriguez to be. And he didn't play very well. He's a good-looking kid. I mean, 6'6", long. He's strong. 
Like, he's got potential. Like, what Kermit Davis is describing him and what he wants to be, he definitely fits the physical profile of that. And so that was another interesting observation. Carlos Curry kind of struggled some, I don't know, his butterflies or what, but he fumbled the ball a lot in the post. Uh, you know, he got kind of beat up a little bit defensively some, but whatever. Ole Miss guarded pretty well in stretches, I thought. I think Kermit Davis kind of shared the same thoughts. They are going to be... I mean, it, it, it's clear as clear as day already. They're going to be a much more versatile defensive team. They're going to be much better to guard smaller bigs in the post because you don't have Dom. Uh, you know, bless his soul, but Dom Dom really struggled against guys that could extend out to the perimeter at all. Which in this day and age of basketball is sport alert. Pretty much everybody. And then Bruce was just very very bad defensively. Your classic JUCO kid that could fill it up and just. Really didn't know how to play defense when he got to Ole Miss and learned some, but it was just never really adequate enough. But, like, with Hadim C., with Sammy Hunter, you know, if they stick Buffin down there some too, like, they're, they're going to be much better equipped to defend in the front court than they were last year, and I think that's going to make a huge difference for them this season. Yeah, no, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much better team defensively, I think. Uh, C. didn't start, like you said, because of the uh, concussion deal. Um, I think he's going to be a, a drastic upgrade on, on defense. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was an exhibition game. Uh, what do you think of Crowley? I thought he did some nice things. You know, he didn't score a lot, but I think Kermit Davis was fairly pleased with how he played. And I thought particularly, actually, uh, kind of along those lines, guys in the same neighborhood, uh, I thought Bryce Williams played pretty well, at least on the offensive end of the floor. He had ten points. He was pretty efficient from the floor. He knocked down a couple triples. He was uh he had two threes and made four free throws. He was pretty good offensively. I thought Crowley played okay as well. I mean, I think Kermit knows that in time Crowley is going to be a really, really good player for Ole Miss down the down the line. How much of a role does he have this year? I don't really know. You know, that might depend on some other things outside of his control. Um, just in terms of how the cookie crumbles in terms of minutes. But I, I think they really, really like what they have with him. Um, so that hey, that was interesting. I thought Bryce Williams played okay. And if you're talking about rotation stuff, they got some interesting interesting pieces and probably, and really and truthfully, uh, some tough decisions to make at some point about how they kind of whittle down the rotation. You know, Kermit Davis has said a couple times into this preseason, he's never really had a number of guys who he wants to play. Like, he's not a guy that's saying, hey, we got to have eight or we got to have seven or nine or whatever, like he doesn't want to go two hours. If he deserved to play, he's going to put you in the game in some capacity. He cited a team at Middle Tennessee where he thinks one year he had 11 or 12 play, which I would have loved to have seen that substitution method. But he, uh, but yeah, so like it kind of, uh, it'll be interesting to how did this group of, you know, the, the, the Sammy Hunter, the Bryce Williams, the, uh, who Crowley? Like who? Who in that group kind of, I guess, finds playing time amongst them? Maybe Antavian Column. I don't know. It'll be interesting to kind of see who fleshes out the maybe. Trying to think here, seven through ten of their rotation if they go that deep. Yeah, so that's about kind of where I expect them to to play. Uh, did you get to watch any college basketball last night? Yeah, I did. I uh, hold that thought for a minute. I'm trying to make sure I didn't really miss anything in terms of. I thought C, what he had nine points, he was four seven. He's he and when he's right. Apparently, okay. Apparently, C had been in pro, pro, concussion protocol. I think he may have gotten hit in the head in practice. But uh, 
he looked like he has potential to be a monster offensively inside for Ole Miss and give them kind of an inside presence that they haven't had. And he has the ability. He didn't make a shot, but he has the ability to kind of step out and take an occasional three or take an occasional 18- to 20-foot jump shot. I'm interested to see what he kind of does in the high post type of things where he can maybe put it on the floor and go by his man and get to the rim. But it look, I guess what I'm, I'm saying, a lot of things to say, he looks like he could be a monster offensively when he's when he's right. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a guy that, look, he played some at Virginia Tech. Um, he can do a lot from an offensive versatility standpoint. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's a really good gift for Ole Miss. And I think if Ole Miss is going to reach their potential, uh, he's got to have a big year for them. Yeah, so that was really just kind of uh, – that was really about all I had from that. They didn't shoot it very well. It was a very ugly offensive night. Like I said, they turned it over 20 times. That'll come, I think, in time. Uh, they dominated the glasses. They probably should against Mississippi College. But, yeah, I mean, they're. I think they're going to – and I mentioned this back early when we first started talking hoops in the offseason. I think this is going to take a little more – like a little more time to kind of get gelled in and get dialed in because – like, last year, because they had no expectations, they went on the road and played Baylor close early in the season, and, like, everything was kind of optimistic because you didn't have any expectations. To Whereas, I think this team could potentially drop a game or two in the first month and month and a half in the season that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to, just because they're, it, it's going to, they have, there are a lot of moving pieces on this team, and kind of getting it right is going to take some time. So it's going to be interesting to see how, I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, a smart ass here, but a somewhat kind of basketball ignorant fan base handles a little bit of early adversity if this team kind of does drop a game or two that they're not supposed to. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, I say basketball ignorant. I don't. I, that's probably a little harsh. The, the people, it seems like around this school, are not used to having a consistently good basketball team. So I'll be kind of interested to see the dynamic of that. I do wonder. I don't know if any of these teams, besides the obvious teams, though, are good enough to beat Ole Miss. Like I'm, I'm just going through their non-conference schedule, and I and this, this schedule outside of the, you know the game at the Barclays and Wichita and Butler, not not exactly challenging. No, but I mean I, I I'm not going to pretend to know anything about Western Michigan or Bakersfield or Tennessee Tech or Selah or anything like that. But it, usually in one of these non-conference games against a lower tier like low major school, you've got a group that's probably projected to win their league with four or five upperclassmen that comes in and kind of gives you a head-scratcher for, you know, 35 minutes in a given night. So does that pop up? I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, you've got Penn State in the Barclays Center and then either Oklahoma State or Syracuse. I don't really, to be completely honest, I don't really know what Butler is this year, but I assume they're going to be fairly well coached and that's going to be a close a close-ish game or at least a pretty good challenge. But, yeah, after that, I mean, Wichita State to end the non-conference schedule is kind of a sneaky, shitty way to end the non-conference slate. But, yeah, I don't know. There's some interesting tests for sure. I mean, when's the last time you looked at an Ole Miss hoop schedule and you've looked at four games automatically and thought, that's going to be a pretty good test? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've got four non-conference games that will certainly help them uh, when they roll in the March. I don't think they're going to have much trouble Friday against North Folk State, although they were a tournament team a few years back. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was Arkansas State Friday. It is. I don't know why I said North Folk State. North Folk State is Tuesday. I had that look up wrong. Arkansas State is Friday. Excuse me. Okay. Um. Anyway, so, yeah, 
just some decent basketball thoughts. They're going to be a fascinating team to cover because of they look so much different than they did a year ago. They're much deeper. They've got enough backcourt scoring. I'm interested to see where this kind of their ceiling is, and do they actually kind of realize what you think is some pretty pretty high potential, I guess. So anyway, uh, before we kind of get into some other stuff, podcast brought to you by LBs. We've got probably the LBs pick'em results coming up in a bit. Uh, I don't really want to know how I did because I imagine it wasn't well. I hope Greg continued it because I would like someone to storm into LBs one day and just demand gambling picks. Just say, I don't want any meat. I want locks. But anyway, if you are going into LBs the conventional way, go let Greg help you realize what you want to put on the grill. It's growing season, weather getting cooler. Put some good meat on the grill. They've got all kinds of stuff. Steaks, custom cuts. He's always experimenting with some kind of delicious sausage. They've got sides, mushrooms, all kinds of stuff. He's got plate lunches. They've got daily specials and deals. It's the best place in Oxford to get meat. Um, he's got stuff that I've never even really heard of in terms of like meat cuts that it literally just looks delicious. So go see him across from Kroger on University Avenue. Best place in Mississippi to get meat by far. So college basketball kicked off last night with the uh, Champions Classic. That is correct. But, um, so you had, what, you had Duke and Kansas, and then Michigan State and Kentucky, and you got one really ugly game and one kind of ugliest game that I thought was a little better played, but, uh, Kansas turned it over like 28, 29 times, it was in there right to the end, it's a very different Duke team, but I was very underwhelmed with Kansas' backcourt, you can tell they're probably going to be, both team, both of those teams are going to be pretty good, but that was a really sloppy game. Yeah, no, it was. Um, Kansas, for whatever reason, would not quit turning the basketball over. I mean, I'm sure Duke had something to do with it. But Kansas had a lot of unforced turnovers. It was crazy. Um, two good teams that, uh, like you said, will have good seasons. Still felt we'll get it figured out, whatever they need to get figured out. Um, I, to be honest, I don't know if Duke, the final four national championship type contender this year, I don't. I just don't see the guy, like, you know, they always have the dude that scares you to death, whether it's Jalil Okafor, Zion, or whatever. I don't see that guy on this team. I don't think Trey Jones is good enough to be that guy. Uh, Alex O'Connell's a good player, but he's really going to go off for 40. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not overly impressed. You know, look, I know it's a big win. I just don't know if this Duke team can gel into something that's going to compete for a national title. Well, if they did, they would be doing better than last year's team did because last year, what people like not really people realize, you've got two, three, three lottery picks on the court at one time, and it basically became Zion Williamson in a sideshow. I thought that was kind of an atrocity of a coaching job by Kay because Reddish and Barrett both regressed. And if you look what Barrett's doing with the Knicks right now, and Reddish hasn't been very, very good with Atlanta so far, but. To have them kind of stumble offensively, they did the way the last month of the season they did a year ago, is really just kind of indictment on Coach K. Maybe the floor is a little too small. I don't know. Maybe those guys are more conducive to an NBA style of play. But, man, that looked really bad last year. So, whereas this year, I just wonder, because you don't have all of that attention on one guy, if it kind of becomes a more Duke-like team. Maybe. But you you got to have that dude, right? Like, I, I just always feel like that when they're good um, – They've got the guy that they can give the basketball to with, with a minute and a half left when the game's tied or whatever. They just kind of don't have that this year. It feels like they're just a bunch of really good pieces. 
Yeah, but on a team when you kind of replace a lot, that's kind of something you find out in the first month and a half-ish of the season. Uh, conversely, on that second game, Kentucky looks really good. Uh, no problem. Yeah, Michigan State struggled a little bit. But, I mean, they've got some injuries. I'll be interested to see what it looks like when uh, when Josh Langford comes back, if they can get him back. I think it's January if he plays at all. Cassius Winston and that team's going to be right there at the end. But I was actually kind of underwhelmed. Like, Michigan State was supposed to be this weird, versatile kind of athletic team, and they didn't really guard Kentucky very well. And their backcourt was not overly impressive. I didn't think Winston played great. But you could tell both of those teams are going to be right there at the end. Those are two really good teams. Is Michigan State the, like, team that always is really good that you enjoy watching the least? For whatever reason, I do not enjoy watching Michigan State play basketball. Whereas, I really enjoy watching Duke and Kansas and Kentucky play. Um, I mean, maybe it just depends on the years. Like, Izzo has some teams where they struggle really badly offensively, which is kind of a little bit of it for parts of last year and really just hound you defensively. So I don't know. I mean, it just depends. I guess Izzo's style of play is maybe a little bit harder on the eyes, but I don't know. I really enjoy watching Cassius Winston play basketball. He, to me, is a really interesting piece. And been there eight years. Yeah, how that translates to the NBA will be kind of fascinating. But anyway, yeah, some good hoops last night. I uh, I don't think there were any huge like surprises. Alabama lost to a pretty good Penn team that returned. Alabama lost? Yeah, they lost to Penn last night um, at home. That's a hell of a start in a bye game. Penn's really Penn is apparently, from what I've read, really good. Like they returned two guys that were top three in the Ivy League in scoring a year ago. Apparently, that was going to be kind of a dogfight. I don't really put too much stock into it, but I mean, I guess it was a little bit of a surprising. Who result. was uh, who was the cat that coached the Bulls that went to Nebraska? Uh, Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, well, he started his career off as a 15-and-a-half-point favorite over UC Riverside and lost by 19. Woo, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, that's not a great look. I mean, Easy. no, but, I mean, it's one game in November after you took over for 10 miles, and that program is really kind of middling, doing nothing. I think Fred Hoiberg's going to be fine at Nebraska. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's a tough start to, to the season for sure. But, I mean, hell, I mean, Andy Kennedy lost his fair share of Charleston Southerns. Yeah, but I'm just saying in your first game, like, jeez, the yeah. way it killed my mental. Yeah, Memphis beat the hell out of SC Upstate last night. Uh, I didn't get to watch any of that game. Apparently, yeah, what the hell was uh, he, he had 28 points and I think like 14 rebounds. He was quite good. Um, yeah. That Apparently their court, I haven't seen it. I've seen a couple of photos. is atrocious. I haven't seen that. Yeah, you might want to look it up. Apparently, the court is very bad. <laughs> I guess I have to. I'll take your word for it. I'm pulling up. I want to see how uh, Jeffrey did if he played. Man, I played. SC State. All right. Jeffries, yeah, he went two of four, had five points. So. They're going to be a problem. I'm, I'm fascinated when Ole Miss goes up there in two weeks. I'm fascinated to see if Penny can actually kind of coach these guys because he has he's done a hell of a sell job getting that program back into the national conversation. He's recruited his ass off. But can he actually coach? Because the last team he coached before this was an AAU team. Yeah. Well, so, he coached high school. Give him a break. Yeah. I don't know. So that'll be interesting. Um. But, okay, so kind of transitioning into the what-ifs, I've got four or five what-ifs from Ole Miss of the last five years that will be kind of interesting, I think. Okay. 
I'll let you start. What if Nick Fitzgerald does not break his leg in the 2017 Egg Bowl, I think is the obvious one. I, you're going to disagree with me here. I think Matt Luke is still the football coach. Um, I think simply it's, because I, I think it's think Dave it Doran. Power play by Jeff Bitter to hire him, and I don't think losing that football game changes it. I think the reason Vitter was pushed to hire him is because he beat Mississippi State, and everyone got so emotional. Maybe, uh, and so the response that you got to Vitter, uh, maybe it's not as uh, passionate. I just think there's a world where Matt Luke is still the football coach, even if he loses that football game. Oh, I think that state game caused a groundswell amongst people who really pushed Vitter to kind of make that happen. I think Doran's probably the head coach. If but it, is, even if he is the head coach, I don't know how much difference this was. No, it, it wouldn't be right now, but there's a, the, the stands would be more full, without a doubt. Yeah. People would be way more bought in. They'd probably be Texas a well, yeah, but they—I don't think the results would be much different. But people would be more bought in because they view it the program having a long-term vision. Right, wrong, indifferent, fair, unfair. Matt Luke was kind of the first wave of in-house hires that really has this fan base, school, university, whatever they want to call, whatever you want to describe the Ole Miss kind of group as, is very apathetic and views all the leadership as incompetent. And so if you have a guy that's viewed as an outsider and was viewed as a, like, Dave Doran, good, bad hire, you can question that all you want, it was viewed as a justify. it would be viewed as a justifiable hire, and so I think people would be way more bought into the program if this was year two of Dave Doran. Um, another thing that people don't remember for that night, that Nick Fitzgerald was really, really bad. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't know if Ole Miss wins that football game with Fitzgerald. But I don't there. think it's 100% a given they lose it. No, it would have been close. Because here's what people forget, too. Ole Miss kind of sat on it once they got up 31 or whatever in the fourth quarter and let State come back. But like if Ole Miss wanted to keep scoring that night, they probably could have. Yeah, and Fitzgerald had thrown a really awful early pick. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened in that game. But, like, I don't think it's a given State probably wins. So maybe you're stuck with the same situation. But that's easily... Owen was halfway off the door that night anyway. Yeah, so that's always a... Uh, that's kind of the most obvious what if from all of that. Uh, the second one I had is what happens if Hugh Freeze doesn't get caught issuing, I ain't not calling uh, hookers on a university cell phone or massage, whatever. You get he what I'm fired saying. after last season. Yeah, I think he goes four and eight in 2017. He sticks with Mag- or he fires Longo. He sticks with McGriff, and they're just as bad in eighteen. And he torpedoes the program in the ground. But what's interesting about this what if is. The perception of Hugh Freeze and all these people saying bring him back, bring him back, bring him back, and all of that. The the irrational, the people that Hugh Freeze has gotten to drink the cyanide to join his cult probably aren't as many and aren't as strong because he would have run the program into the ground. Yeah, the cult would have been weakened. Yeah, there wouldn't be they wouldn't be as large. Like there's always going to be a, like there's a faction of of, of of Ole Miss people to where if Hugh Freeze shot somebody, they would say the guy shouldn't have been standing there. <laughs> but I think it would be a lot, a lot smaller if they had actually seen, because Matt Luke basically just cleaned up Hugh Freeze's mess for a year and a half, and that excuse is like people get tired of that excuse. That's not really one right now because it is Matt Luke's. It's pretty much completely his program. But for seventeen and large pieces of eighteen, he was very much atoning for just the mess Hugh Freeze created, 
And if Hugh Freeze had actually been able to see the nosedive out that his program was taking, people would have a lot different perception of him, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I don't disagree at all. It's a shame that Freeze didn't get to live that down. What if... Laquan Treadwell doesn't get hurt and get scores on that Auburn play? Um, you've got a hard time convincing me that a team that went to Fayetteville and lost thirty to nothing wins that football game, even with Treadwell, because Laquan didn't give up thirty points to a bad Arkansas offense in the rain. So, but I don't the know psyche of that team was that crushed time. by that point. No, they wouldn't have gotten crushed, but I, I still think it's a hard sell to say they win the game. No, I'm saying the psyche of that team was crushed by that point. Just from that yeah. loss and everything else that happened, I, I, I don't I don't know if they win it either, but like I think they'd have a much better shot. I still don't. I, I mean, they, they wouldn't have won the West anyways. I mean, with how everything fell. Uh, well, yeah, I guess they would have. Yeah, yeah they, they would have. Yeah, they would have won the West. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a tough sell. Um, I still think, like, the people, the thing people forget in situations like this is Ole Miss wasn't playing for the West against Mississippi State, so they played a lot looser um, in 14 and 15. So my argument is how much, how different are those games when they're playing to win the SEC West compared to, you know, what actually happened? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair as well. But man, they beat State last night, I mean, that night, with absolutely nothing. Like, Bo Wallace had a gimpy shoulder. I think he had a gimpy ankle, too. Like, Latreadwell was out. I forget who all they were missing, but it was rough. Well, Vince Sanders goes out in the first half, um, tears his ACL. Um,. Yeah, they didn't have much that night. You know, people do the Mullen and Freeze thing. That's one night Freeze outcoached the living hell out of Mullen. Yeah, and State kind of had a playoff berth on the line. They were still fourth in the college. They were, they, yeah, they had a shot. They were fourth going into that week. Would they have gotten squeezed out conference championship week because Alabama yeah, was in there? I don't know, but man, I like you would have if you're a State person, you probably would have at least been able to like to find out. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's certainly fair. Um, history probably shows they they would have got squeezed out, but yeah, I mean, you would have gone into that last weekend with a shot at least and finished the regular season eleven and one. Yeah, with a win at Ole Miss, it was pretty good. Yeah, that's you know, but it now now look at this Egg Bowl and you know these two schools that are runs of the SEC enjoy telling on each other more than actually trying to get good, and now you have a game that has no national relevance and is just completely. I hope the snitching was worth it. Yeah, but I mean, hell, I mean, Ole Miss did it to Cheryl in the '90s. Like these two schools love to just pick on each other instead of actually, you know, become competent, nationally relevant programs. Because, like, newsflash: guess who's watching the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving night? People in the state well, of Mississippi and people that don't like NFL football. And outside of that, you are completely irrelevant to everyone. I don't think Mississippi State's uh, coordinated effort was because of what Ole Miss did in the '90s. Uh. No, but it's just I'm just pointing out that it's a history of them going back and forth and kind of pushing the other one off the top of the slide or climbing up the side of the slide instead of, you know, actually trying to be competent SEC programs for long stretches of times. That seems yeah. like a banner idea. You know, instead of playing, there have been two Egg Bowls in the last half century that have mattered. 
wasn't that a lot more fun? Because I know from a coverage standpoint, it was a lot more fun to cover than, you know, two, five, and six teams going at it in, you know, a three-fourths of the way filled stadium in a game that literally means nothing. I'm going to disagree with you there. This thing's always packed, is it not? Except for last year, obviously. That's what I was kind of getting at. And do you think it'll be, ah, maybe it'll be a sellout this year. It'll be packed. It's Starkwood, the Egg Bowl. There'll be be 58,000 people there with bells. I guess, but you get my point. Wouldn't you rather have a game that actually means something? Oh, yeah. No, you, you, yes. Um, sort of. But I, I get what you're saying. I mean, it's, you're a lot more nationally relevant when when the two teams are 10-1 and one and, and, you know, not and two going in there. Yeah, because I'm going to be sitting there in front of my computer wishing to God I was watching Saints-Falcons instead. <laughs> so, uh, it's funny, you're going to have Ole Miss fans that don't really care if they get beat on Thanksgiving and State fans that don't really care if they get beat on Thanksgiving because they just want a new coach. You know what, I want an indoor press box because I froze my ass off It's going to be cold. Yeah, yeah, I was there in 15. It is going to be cold, bud. Yeah, I'm not, not looking forward to that. My mom hates the Thanksgiving thing because I leave at like 1 o'clock. Um, <laughs> anyway, my next what if... trying to think here. I've got one. All right, go. Hugh Freeze takes the Florida job in 2014. Mm, I actually don't even remember who they would have maybe have, like, kicked the tires on. They would have hired Michael Wayne. I could argue Ole Miss is in, a better, is in better shape today if, if, if that happens. I don't, I don't know. McElwain has a propensity for sharks, but not escorts, so maybe? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the NCAA thing likely doesn't happen to the extent that it does because, first of all, McElwain doesn't call Laramie Tunzel except that a white beater. Um, he probably doesn't quote Exodus to an NCAA investigator, so I don't think this gets personal in his blood field. Um, True, but the ground, the... the the groundwork for the NCAA deal was kind of already set by that point. Yeah, now, but I don't think they do the immunity interviews and, and the second NOA comes out. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I agree. Um, for all the McElwain crap that he gets, he had one bad year at Florida. Like, and he's doing pretty good at Central Michigan this year. I, yeah, steroids he, help. Do what? Steroids help. Okay, but I mean... I think that's hilarious, he, he by the way. He won the East, though, with, you know, Treon Harris the next year. True. Very bad SEC East, though. Like, he would have been screwed if Kirby had been at Georgia that whole time. Yeah, but, I mean, he went 1-1 one and one against Georgia, if I remember correctly. I mean, he's still going 8-4, 9-3 in Florida. That's what Mullen's doing. Yeah, I mean, that's what Mullen's done in one year. That's what McElwain did in two. Like, he didn't get for three years. Yeah, that's true. I do think it's absolutely hilarious that he's now, you know, his quarterback in Central Michigan got suspended for the year for steroids. Did you know that? Oh, did he really? Yeah, that's what I was kind of getting oh, at. That's bad so he, he had the, he had the Will Greer thing, and then now his quarterback in Central Michigan is out for the year because he failed a test for steroids. I love oh, that this guy's just walking in with the Bud Kilmer shit where he's like, you know what, shoot this up, buddy. Nobody's going to catch you. I think do that's you remember um, who gets posted when, when for steroids went down these with days? Greer, the guy that was posting on the Florida message board about it happening before it actually happened, 
Uh, no, I do not remember that. Yeah, some Florida fan, like, they beat Missouri on, like, a Saturday. And some Florida fan just gets on, like, what is their equivalent of rivals or scouts and just posts, like, yeah, y'all better enjoy it. Greer's getting suspended for Royds on Monday. And sure enough, the cat did. I thought that was kind of the funniest thing because it obviously had been going on for a while. Uh, do we have, like, is uh, I'm... Like, this isn't Major League Baseball in the 1990s. I'm a little shocked we have, like, like, I'm surprised this is a thing with him, I guess. Like, what coaches get their kids busted for steroids regularly now? Can you name another one? No. Um, I mean, the kid at State got uh, the pitcher, I can't remember his name, uh, got suspended for roids. But other than that, no. Yeah, like, that's just such a bizarre thing anyway. But, yeah, I think they're doing he's doing pretty well at Central Michigan aside from, you know, the kids juicing. But uh, my next one, uh, what would happen if Derek Millinghouse in 20, I guess that. Oh, we're doing, we're doing basketball, too. It could be whatever. There are no rules here. Okay. Um, All right. If Derek Millinghouse in 2012 doesn't make the shot against Missouri in the uh, SEC tournament because, you know, if you'll remember in that 2012 SEC tournament run, Ole Miss wasn't even guaranteed to get in the tournament even if they had beaten Florida in the championship game that day. It's very debatable. They probably do, but it's, yeah. It's very debatable and very close. But point being, if you lose to Missouri, there's no shot no. in that second round game. Does Andy Kennedy survive that? Because no, that, no, no, no. He was fired. Well, see, I wasn't covering the program back then because I was still in high school. And they're... There are people that were covering it that believe conflicting things. Like, some think he might have been, and some people think he absolutely would have been back for the next year. Man, I don't, I don't understand how he was fired um, when they left Starkville that day and how, in the process of two weeks, he would have saved his job by beating a pretty bad Alabama and a decent LSU team and then making the NIT. Um, because when he left Starkville that day, it was over. So, I, I don't know how they don't make a move. Wait, what? When he they lost at Mississippi State, that uh, I guess it was a Saturday in March. They, they were firing him. Like, like it, I think the decision had been made at that point that they were going to move on if Kennedy didn't make the tournament. I don't know what he could have done if he loses that game to Missouri to have saved his job in between that time. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying there are co- there are multiple people that like cover the program that believe that the ma- that wasn't necessarily been the case. So it doesn't sound like that one had been made. Man, I, how do you not fire him if he misses the tournament that year? Though, like, like what are you? It, I I don't think I, I I'm in the camp that they would have made a change because I remember distinctly. Um, Ross York, once they won the game, uh, being Ross York and going on Twitter and making fun of fans that were tweeting that they needed to fire Kennedy. So it's kind of like a, a, a revelation moment. Yeah, I mean, sure. But at the same time, like, basically what we think is, like, what would have been the prudent move, because I was in the same camp at 17 years old thinking he was probably done. But where's the actual administration would have done is you come to find out with Ole Miss are two completely different things. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do think they move on from that game, um, I think that might have been all I had off the top of my head. I figured I might think of another one or two. Um, I had another one, but it kind of tied into Freeze going to Florida. So, um, it really, really wasn't. Um, now here's one. Here's one, and it's, it's, it's from 10, 12 years ago. 
What does Ole Miss's baseball program look like if Mike takes the LSU job when they offered it to him? Well, Are they still point, nationally relevant? Well, yeah, because at that point you're still in play to get McDonald. Um, McDonald was an assistant at Ole Miss when that happened. So do you hire him? Yes. Well, okay. I mean, I think he gets a really long, hard look, if nothing else. I mean, I, that would seem to make sense at that point with their dynamic. So in the could way. You, would you argue that they're a better baseball program? I think there's an argument to be made that that is uh, – actually, I'll, I'll rephrase that. There's an argument to be made they would have since had better postseason results. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's certainly fair. That's kind of the age old wonder with well, baseball. That's where the uh, nuance gets lost with Mike, right? As everyone talks about, would be a, they'd be a better program? Well, not really in terms of like stability and recruiting and the teams being good and competitive every year. Better postseason results? Yeah, maybe. The only other one with baseball is, and I can't really blame Mike for this, but I think if uh, in the World Series in 14, if he starts Trent against Virginia, I think they, they play for the national title. Well, they had to beat them twice. Oh, oh, you're talking about the first night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they start Trent the first night, I think they play for the national title. Yeah, that game was so close, though, as is, and was so well-pitched by both guys. I forget the kid oh, that sure, went from Virginia. Sure. But Trent was giving up no runs at that time of year. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another one. That's really about all I had. The the always fun one that relates to the whole SEC is what if uh, the Miami Dolphins doctors say Drew Brees is healthy? Yeah, did you know that we actually discovered that? I didn't discover this on the radio show the other day. Haydad pointed out, we looked it up. Do you know who the medical doctor was that, or the head of Miami's medical staff that did not clear him? Who? Danny Cannell's father. So Danny Cannell's dad ruined SEC football, which is just dripping. Oh, okay. There we go. Danny Cannell, Mr. Turtleneck SEC hater's father, did not clear Drew Brees' shoulder, which sent Nick Saban to Alabama and basically just ruined the SEC West. Ole Miss has won the SEC West if if they gain his shoulder. Okay. Like, I don't think that's arguable. What they a year. It, frankly, they went in at 08. Because Saban's not there, and Ole Miss would have beaten Alabama if they don't hire Saban, I think. Hell, they almost beat him Wednesday. Yeah, so I got an argument with a guy on our text line the other day, because I, te- I check our radio text line like once every couple weeks, and he was arguing. That, I'll tell you what, this isn't a what if, but this argument pisses me off to no end with the Hugh Free Sugar Bowl thing. You realize Houston Nut, by today's standards, the back-to-back Cotton Bowls are the exact same thing as the Sugar Bowl is, right? Is the same thing as what? The Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I, I get to, that argument. Hugh Freeze going um, to the Sugar Bowl now is not Hugh Freeze going to the Sugar Bowl, you know, 2012 prior or whatever. It's not the same thing. But that is always that Ole Miss, when they went to the Sugar Bowl in 2015, would have gone to the Sugar Bowl in 2012 with that resume, too. But Okay, so the counter to that is, in 2008, Ole Miss finished second in the SEC West behind Alabama and went to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, but they were 8-4, and four too. Did they go to the Sugar Bowl? No, but they're... That's what I'm saying. The, the 2015 Ole Miss team goes to the Sugar Bowl in 2011. Does the 2008 
Cotton Bowl team that was eight four go to the, the Sugar Bowl in two thousand eight. I don't. Think Wait, no, so. no, 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 two thousand eight. Hold on. Hold on. Eight four. They lost uh, Wake, South Carolina, Alabama, and Vanderbilt. Yeah, they went eight four. But the uh, the um, but the like twenty fifteen was only nine and three. Yeah, but they had the win over Alabama too. <laughs> I mean that that kind of helped. They had the win over Florida that year. Who won the national title? That's true. That's true. But I just I don't think it's well, I guess I guess here's the question: What were they ranked going into it? Look, eighteen and sixteen were the two rankings. Okay, well, maybe so. See, that's what I'm not. I'm not arguing at you, but what pisses me off about that is people hanging the Sugar Bowl and Hugh Freeze talking about them going to like the program being at heights it had never been. It was the same thing in 2008, literally the same thing, same heights. It, just, it, it does feel different. I'm not going to say why. Yeah, <laughs> it's the nostalgia of all the old guys talking about the Sugar Bowl, but it's not really the same Sugar Bowl that it was. Now maybe your your argument has merit. Maybe if if that happens in 08, Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss still go to, to that level of Sugar Bowl. But my my thing is is you can't use you can't use him getting to the modern Sugar Bowl and judge it by old standards. In my book, I don't know. I just the, the the heights the program was in 08 versus their program in 2016 or 15 is not that different in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean it, they weren't. No, they weren't. You know. Drastically different, and though. that's a coach nut guarantee. Uh, <laughs> they won six in a row to end the eight uh, the 08 season and beat the brains off of pretty much everyone. Yeah, they beat Texas Tech like a dog. And Texas Tech was well, one lost Texas Tech team that almost went to the national title game. That was the Crabtree year where he scored with two seconds left against Texas, and the entire city of Lubbock burned. Yeah, yeah, they were eleven and one. If they don't lose to Oklahoma that night, they go to the national title game, probably. Yes, they absolutely did. Uh, they were close to it anyways because there was a three-way tie in the uh, Big 12, and the BCS decided like who got to go to the Big 12 title game and had uh, Oklahoma right ahead of Texas Tech. Auburn went 2-6 and six and 5-7 and seven in 08. That's Tuberville's last year, right? Yes, that's the year they got uh, double five. Alright, I'm looking it up now. Let's see. December. Hold on just a second. Ole Miss was 20 in 08 at the end of the season. They were 10 at the end of the season in 15. So, I no, 08 was the AP ranking and 15 was the college football playoff ranking, so it's not apples to apples. Okay, so the one I've got has them at 14 to end the year. In. In. In uh no oh eight to end the year yes but not that that's after they beat Texas Tech so you're not selecting them based off of okay that. yeah sure fair fair enough anyway I don't know that's always a scenario that bothers me because it's like Houston not pretty much did the same thing now is Houston not the same coach as Hugh Freeze no but it's not really my point is Hugh Freeze I think gets too much credit for a watered down Sugar Bowl anyway. Oh, here, Wikipedia describes Ole Miss's 2008 style as pro-style, comma, wild rebel. What a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a time. Anyway, that's about all the what-ifs I have. Let's get to the LB's pick'em. 
We'll get into a little bit of it, but go see Greg, University Avenue, across from Kroger LB's is the best place in the state of Mississippi to get meat. He's got custom cuts. They've got daily specials, whether you want to get a filet, a nice ribeye. He's got all kinds of great meat cuts for you. Go see him. Um, they've got daily specials. They've got plate lunches. They've got all kinds of great sides. He's always cooking up something delicious in there. They're always experimenting with some kind of incredible sausage. They had some kind of like blueberry sausage or something he was telling me last Friday if you listened to the pod. It uh, sounded delicious. Go see Greg. He has all your meat needs, and it sounds like he might have your gambling locks. Let's get to it. What happened? Uh, so so we did not uh, have good week. Um, Greg did not have a good week either. Shoot. Uh, Greg has people counting on him. Yeah, yeah. You went 8-11, he went 8-11, and I went 9-10. Not great. Yeah, but the difference is Greg had back-to-back winners the week weeks before, and I I did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, I am 58-65. You're 56-67, and Greg is 48-35. and 35. So, in reality, I'm giving almost as good a winners as Greg, because if you go the opposite, you pretty much make the same amount of yeah, money. Yeah, that's a good point. If they just fade you, they're probably doing better. Right, so I'm actually probably doing better better job than Greg is. So, suck it, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You just give out losers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway. Thanks. Um, so what do we got this week? We got a really good Thursday night game, don't we? No, no, no. no uh, Monday. Monday's, no. The, Monday's the good Unless one. Unless you're talking about the NFL. No, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Chargers at Raiders. Chargers oh, that's, minus one. That's not bad either, but what I was actually thinking of is what's actually the Monday night game. We've got Seattle-San Francisco Monday night football this week. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It's about time we had a decent Monday night game. All right, so let's get rolling on this. Uh, so we got, we'll do the Thursday You'll night. You some action tonight? Yeah, why the hell not in the spirit of action? Last night I just turned on some action while the game was in, be- the, the uh, early basketball game was in between the late one. And, oh, buddy, is it, I always forget just how. you got to get two TVs, man. You're mid-20 years old. you got to have first two TVs in your living room. We bust that out on Saturdays because my roommate brings it out there. But last night I was just casually perusing it as I was looking through some football notes. Um, but so I, I'll i give uh, Big Cat from Barstool credit. I don't think he made this video, but he posted a hype video of basically all the dumb stuff that happens in Maction. And I laughed to where I was at the point of tears for about 15 to 20 minutes. I was laughing so hard. The just weird, crazy stuff that happens in Maction was is in is hilarious. To me. And last night I watched Ball State was down four points with five minutes, or I think about seven minutes left to go in the game, and ran the exact same run play six times and scored. Yeah, yeah, and then they lost. They run an inside counter six times and scored because they got six yards, six yards, thirty yards, seven yards, eight yards in the end zone. The exact yep. same play. The quarterback did not do anything but hand it off and do the same drill, footwork drill, and then they gave up a touchdown and lost. And when they had to throw the ball with a minute left, was it a oh, disaster? They, couldn't throw it. they didn't complete a pass. They didn't, they didn't get a pass off. You gotta love Maxion. Um, anyway, oh, let's start with the Thursday night game though. Oakland is plus one and a half against the Chargers. Uh, oh, that line moved. It was uh, oh, 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 Oakland is plus one and a half. Yeah, excuse me, at home against the Chargers. I think I said at the Chargers. This is a really tricky one for me because uh, Los Angeles has kind of saved their season the last two weeks. They went to Chicago and kind of got handed a win at the end. But they beat the brakes off of a Green Bay team last week very handily. But at the same time, Oakland is a legitimate team. 
they would actually probably be a playoff team if they could rush the passer, you know, if they had, say, like a Khalil Mack. Um, <laughs> but they're competent offensively. They're okay in the back end. They literally just cannot get pressure on quarterbacks. They're 4-4, four and four, and with the way the AFC is, don't be shocked if Oakland somehow inexplicably sneaks into that last wild card spot. That wouldn't stun me with as bad as the AFC is. Um, no, because it might, well, uh, I don't know. I feel like the, the Bills and the Colts are kind of destined for those for those two wild card spots. But you've got to remember Brissett's out. Oh, that's true. That's I kinda, wonder how long he's out for. I, I don't know, but it did not look great. So if he's out for an extended period of time and they're going with Hoyer, I agree. If, if it's... It's Buffalo and Indy probably if Brissett's healthy, but if he's out for an extended period of time, that really kind of leaves the door open for Los Angeles and Oakland. Sure, yeah. Really, and Indianapolis, even with Brissett, played a ton of close games. Yeah, they did. And uh, and Hoyer actually wasn't terrible. Vinatieri kind of – did you see Vinatieri shank that one on Sunday with the laces in? Yeah, the, I, I can never fault the kicker when the laces are like that. Yeah, he, he – I saw Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee, for as funny and as lack of seriousness he is, is honestly very good at explaining the mechanics oh, of yeah, kicking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how it kind of slingshots off the leg. Anyway, none of that's relevant. I think I'm going to reluctantly go Oakland here because I don't trust Phillip Rivers in a road game like this. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with the Chargers, though, just because I think where San Diego is vulnerable is I don't think they can block that well. Um, and Oakland doesn't get after the passer. I'm going to take San Diego, but I'm not actually going to bet this game because I don't actually think I know who wins. Oh, this is definition of coin flip. Yeah, yeah. Um, tonight you've got Miami of Ohio. Yes, God, yeah. Against Ohio. Ohio is a touchdown favorite. I will point out last night because we did, we pointed out on the show, both home favorites did not cover in Maction last night. But they did win. They did win the game. So if you had a money line parlay, you won. I guess I'll go. I'm taking Ohio. Without looking at records or anything or any, I'll probably go Ohio. Whatever is that old Both guy still? Four and four. Is that old, old guy still coaching at Ohio? Yeah, so it. Yeah. Um, and then Thursday night, I'm not doing ULL Coastal. The college game. Oh, come on. All right, fine. Coastal's damn respect. Coastal's plus fourteen at home against ULL. I can't. I guess I can't go against Billy Napier at this point. Hell no, ULL minus fourteen. Temple. South Florida. South Florida is catching right. one and a half at home against Temple. I want to talk about this game for a second. So what is your like reaction when you see that line? I don't know that Temple's probably a little bit better, but... Yeah, yeah it's like, why is Temple minus one? So obviously South Florida's winning the football game. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the logic you got to go with. So I actually... <laughs> I mean, I'm, like, I'm going to go the Temple's opposite. much better and they're only minus one. Therefore, they're losing. I'm going Temple against all logic, so come at me, Vegas. Anyway. Okay, well, I'm going to take God. I'm going to I'm gonna take Charlie Strong. We're going to... Uh, we'll get into the meat of the LB's Pick'em on Friday. That's about all I had today. I did have one more thing because I really find this incredibly enjoyable. I don't know if you saw this yesterday... But there was a huge internet controversy with Mike Francesa. No, I didn't. I, I didn't. Not. Massive. Like, could affect his job security. He allegedly ripped a fart on the air. Oh, that's, 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 that's neat. Oh, fr- I am seeing the Memphis court. That is, uh, that is atrocious. But, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Yesterday, I don't know if you follow that Funhouse account that's, like, back after this that basically just points out all the hypocritical and dumb stuff Mike Francesa says. I find it hysterical because he's like the grumpy old man that everyone needs in our lives. And so yesterday, I know I periodically go to the, like, I don't, 
for as much as I complain about Twitter, there are about four or five accounts that I go to and search their feed for entertainment and content, and Funhouse is one of them because of the hilarious stuff they do with Francesa. And I log on expecting just to hear some average con- you know, takes that he's con- contradicted himself on in the last week or so. And boy, was my mind blown. He was, coincidentally enough, ripping Adam Gase for losing to the Jets. And about the 19-second mark of his rant, you can hear a fart noise break out. Then, the New York Daily News proceeds to write a headline on their website, Mike Francesa appears to rip fart on air. So, we've got great things going on in journalism these days with the New York Daily News. Well, did you see the uh, the guy in Oklahoma that asked Jalen Hurts if he preferred winning to losing? I did, but I don't think people understood. It was a joke. Yeah, I was about to say, did you understand the context of that? Because every single question he answered with, we're trying to go 1-0 this week. Yeah, like, come on, Jalen, answer the question. He's becoming kind of unlikable. Well, he's basically doing this. He's basically doing. He's Saban, right? I mean, he's still a Saban product. Is basically what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really fun to watch, and it's a good story and all. But like, be a human, dude. Yeah, exactly. That's the question. He's unnecessary, cranky. I completely agree. I hate it when people do that. But the guy's name is Eddie. His last name starts with an R. I don't remember. He's the rivals guy there. Been there a long time. Does a good job. But was, he was just being—he was, was being, he was being you a. See, uh, his, like you said, where he was like, they're—they're uh, they're trying to find the guy that killed journalism. Yeah. So what—what what kills me? Yesterday, I was actually on. Uh, I'll get back to the Francesca thing and finish up in a second. We'll get out of here. But what kills me about these, these ESPN talk shows is I don't watch any of them. I like Cowherd, and then really I just get everything else from podcasts. Like I like a lot of the Ringer podcasts, um, in other places anyway. But like I turned on yesterday, I—I uh, I was at my house right for work. And Jalen and Jacoby's on. I don't even know if you know what that is. Yeah, I know what it is. But they have, it's Jalen and Jacoby and some, uh, I, I forget, there was a woman who's, uh, I think she was a college football reporter. I'm not sure on. And they're just talking shit. Ramona Shelburne? No, no, it wasn't Ramona Shelburne. I've, I I don't remember what this lady was. It was L something. But they're all three ripping the guy for asking the Oklahoma question. They're like, can you believe this guy asked if they prefer he win, winning or losing? Like, Get that guy out of the press conference. Like, what do you? They were like, what do you think he's thinking? As all of his colleagues are judging him, and I'm like, can we add a little context to this? Like, clearly you don't know what happened, and it's amazing to me that a show with that big a platform on a national stage can just botch a story like that because it was dripping I, I in irony. I respect the Robles dude because uh, his, his name's taken off now. Yeah, because he was being a smartass. He wasn't actually asking the question, but they took it as a literal question. And, like, Jacoby was oh, like, this God, is one of the I worst. Their SID was livid. Well, like, uh, J- Jacoby sitting there on ESPN going, this is one of the worst questions I've ever heard. It's like, it was facetious, man. <laughs> anyway, back to the Francesa thing, and we'll get out of here. So the New York Daily News writes a headline, and then Francesa has a caller come in. And it's so funny because he's acting like he's interrogating him in a courtroom. And he, the caller comes in and goes, Mike. You were ripping Adam Gase about an hour ago, and I don't know if you've seen the papers, but uh, they're accusing you of ripping a fart on air. And Francesca's just like, what are you talking about? And then one of his producers sticks the headline in front of him, and he reads the headline on air, and then he spent 30 minutes of his show denying the fart. He lost oh, all I know, he lost an all-out defense strategy, 30 minutes on a daily radio show in New York, Defending himself, saying there's no way he could have farted. <laughs> God, 2019, what a, man. This is this is the action that we get and we deserve. What a time to be alive. Fartgate really just sent shockwaves throughout the internet. Anyway, <laughs> we got to get out of here. We've gone long enough. 
Uh, we'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. Submit your questions. Um, I might do a college basketball thing, Bob, uh, just kind of solo on Thursday. I reached out to our dear friend Hugh Kellenberger. Who has yeah, a- see if you can get Jay Billisong. Uh, that would be nice. Um, but I've, I've reached out to Kellenberg. He hasn't gotten back to me yet. Maybe if he uh, can get something set up, talk some college hoops. But we'll be back at it for Mailbag Friday. Send me your picks. Send me your question, or questions, anything. Always appreciate the feedback. So the last two weeks we've had terrible turnout for Mailbag Friday. So I'm, yeah, do better. I'm issuing a hollow threat here. I'm going to turn Mailbag Friday into something else if you don't send me a question. And I know people no, listen to this. No, because then we have to actually think. Nope, and I'm going to think and use my brain because Mailbag Friday is going away if people don't ask questions. And I know people are listening because I can see the metrics. So if you're out there and you're thinking, I don't ever send in a question, well, start participating, please. Because... <laughs> You either re- <laughs> like the third grade you either re- you either recognize this holiday or you don't. There is no neutral in the middle. You don't just get the day off of work because it's the people's holiday. You have to participate in it and recognize it. So, anyway, send me your questions, please, God, so we can have some content for Friday because Ole Miss is playing New Mexico State, and I don't know what else to do. And we're not talking about it. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my rant. We'll be back at it on Mailbag Friday. If you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast. Tell all of your friends to subscribe to the podcast. Um, continue to give me feedback, but rate and review. Give us five stars. Say whatever you want in the comments. Uh, but I'm getting out of here. We'll be back at it on Friday. For Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We'll catch you on Mailbag Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.